I think it's so important that my listeners hear what hope sounds like, what recovery sounds like. So much of our podcast here on Beyond Risk and Back, uh, so many of my interviews have a lot to do with getting the information to try to settle your nervous system so that you can actually get some sleep and to give you some skills so that you can actually navigate uh, the, the experience with your kiddo. So that's what we're doing here today. This is part one of a new series called Rock Bottom. So welcome to Beyond Risk and Back Rock Bottom. We're going to talk to someone who hit rock bottom and found their way back. Thanks for listening. Parents with kids who are struggling need support. My name's Aaron Huey, and this is Beyond Risk and Back. This is a special episode of Beyond Risk and Back, as this is part of our Rock Bottom series. These are the stories of the survivors of mental health issues and abuse, of addiction, and of recovery. Thank you for joining me on Colorado's number one parenting podcast, Beyond Risk and Back. So I have Jennifer Gonzalez on the line. Jennifer and I met uh, at the IFA Awards. Uh, while we were there, we received one of the top 50 healthcare providers, Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center did, uh, top 50 healthcare providers in the US. Uh, and we met, and Jennifer was working on another project, which I'm gonna let her uh, talk about. And I I just, there was a spark in her, there was a fire in her, there was a, um, a underneath that there was all there was a heaviness to her and in my gut I knew she had a story to tell so I invited her to tell her story and she was like eh, eh, get away from me strange man bald guy yeah me and then months later recently she contacted me and said all right you twisted my arm and she's she's on the air to tell her story and I think her story is potent I think it's powerful, and I know, parents, it's one that you're going to want to hear. So thank you for joining us on Beyond Risk and Back, Rock Bottom Series. My guest today is Jennifer Gonzalez. Jennifer, thank you for your courage, your transparency, uh, the audacity to tell the truth about yourself on the air. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you uh, doing what you do. It's important. Well, thank you. Uh, let's jump into it. Let's talk about first what you were there at IFA uh, doing. What 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 was it that you were there uh, working on and getting connections with? And it had something to do with I want to say teenagers and a movie project, a TV project, or a documentary project. That's that's how my memory is serving. So forgive me if I'm wrong. No, 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 you are correct. Uh, let's see. So uh, I was able to go to IFA and I received a award for one of the top uh, 100 healthcare leaders. And I was grateful for that. Uh, I was there with my company, Health Gen YZ. And that's a company that we focus on supporting the health of young adults. We primarily focus on phys uh, physical, mental, social, and financial health and the delivery of care that affects young adults. And while I was setting this company up and just 
talking to young adults within the LA area, which is where I live, uh, I was able to meet uh, some fantastic young adults who were creating a series, and it's a Generation Z web series, and it focused on five teenagers who were going through therapy and the recovery process. This definitely touched my heart. I didn't explain to them what my background is, and they actually don't know. They just looked at me as a financial backer and supporter and um, someone that they could just kind of shoot questions off and look for connections and different ideas. And, and they're in, I want to say, ranging from 16 to 19 years old. So uh, these young adults had created a series, and I was out there talking about my company, talking about what we're doing for young adults and how we're giving back with different types of scholarships and things of that nature, and also uh, talking about Generation C web series. And, and that intricately related with what Aaron is doing over at Fireside. You had, uh, you've said now now twice in the last 10 minutes uh you said uh, that that the kids didn't know don't know your story and that this is and before we went live uh you said that this is the first time you've been interviewed and, and talked about yourself so i'm wondering um i'm wondering what it is you do that's allowed you to kind of keep this whole, your whole past and your whole history in your pocket and not have to use it as an earn the right or as, as your resume, you know, you know, because we want to see the scars on people. We want to know that we're not alone. And when someone says, you know, what qualifies you to work with a bunch of kids who are doing projects about recovery and, and doing a film series and finance that, and that you just you just kind of keep your own truth in your pocket. And what I love is you keep it uh, focused on the kids. But why why have you not told your story? What 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 was it? What was the motivator for for keeping quiet? I don't think it's a motivator for keeping quiet. I come from the insurance industry, so. Um, employee benefits and insurance is so complicated. Nobody's asking what your background is. If you can take <laughs> the time to do your job well, they right. don't care. Right. You know, uh, uh, and I think that's what it's kind of like. How how often? How often? You know, depending on what your what your position is in careers, they don't necessarily ask for qualifications. Now that's pertaining to health insurance. Uh, you kind of have to prove yourself. And if you can prove right. yourself, then um, you're qualified and experience really sets in. So when you can successfully place uh, someone with the right type of coverage that's going to be effective and overall good for the market, it really they're not asking about your background. So that uh, industry led me to uh, create my own company years down the road. And when I did that, I think that's where I brought my own experience, understanding my path and seeing how over the years I've worked with different generations and this next generation coming in and by working with them hand in hand and seeing them in the tough situations, you know, in um, different types of sales positions, hiring them, uh, things of that nature, I was able to understand 
um, some of the struggles and I saw some correlations in there. So correlations um, between their stories and yours, their struggles and yours. Yes. I, I see some of the same uh, issues plaguing our young adults that I saw affecting us and in, in my generation, um, how they deal with it seems to be a little bit differently, but it's, it's the same, um, you know, it's that same teenage angst. It's that same questions and, and trying to find your path and things of that nature. So, uh, and, and trying to communicate with your own communication style with an older generation, because it seems that the positions that I always had, I was with people that were a lot older than me. And so, um, I was able to kind of see that. And then from my own experience, um, I was able to come in and say, this is what I want to do when I want to focus on the young adults. And I want to bring my experience from, from the insurance and, and uh, employee benefits background and kind of bring it together with health. Have you, have you found a healing through your work as, or is your, is your healing, are you still working on the healing? I guess, I guess that's kind of a, a, a way to so say it. I didn't, maybe it was just kind of like a subconscious. I didn't realize what I was doing as I was doing it. Yeah. I was just kind of doing it. And it was, like I said, I, I saw, I guess I had made it to a certain point where I was really happy with where I was at and I wanted to create something of my own. And when I asked myself what it is I wanted to create, and why I wanted to create it, it came back to my own experience okay. as, a, as a young adult. Okay, so let's okay. let's let's go into that. I know a lot of a lot of my listeners are like, okay, that that's good. Yeah. That's good salad. Let's have some meat and potatoes here. So let's Jennifer tell your story. What what happened? All right. So uh, you know, I, it's interesting because when I look back, I, I think about myself even as a baby and what what was I like and um, I was really uh, talking to my parents and things of that nature I was really a happy baby um, they do tell one story which stands out um, I think I had like two teeth and a couple of friends had come over to visit my parents from France they had brought their baby they let the two babies play thinking it would be fine uh, minutes later the other baby was bleeding and I had bit the baby so I was kind of showing different traits of where I was going with this. And as a young adult, I used to climb out of my crib and I would hide. And the only way my mom would find me is because I'd be laughing because she'd be scared. And so I was really active and um, kind of mischievous, I guess you could say. And uh, then as I got into... Um, you know, to be about 12 years old is when things really kind of change. And I, I think that's a, kind of one of those things that I hear very often. Um, I didn't really have too many issues. Uh, my parents didn't drink. They didn't use drugs. Uh, they were present. My mom didn't work. But I was frustrated and I was angry. And there really wasn't a reason to to pin it to. And I think that's really hard for parents because if you see your child going through this and you can't identify what's causing it and there's nothing you can say, okay, this happened, let's treat it. 
it's really hard. And so well, I remember um, asking you that when you and I were talking before about doing the show is as, as, as I, I literally asked, is like, did something happen when you were in the womb? Were you adopted? Were you, you know, is there, is there some like early, early child trauma? And you were like, eh. no, and I, I really can't think of anything now, as I thought about it, um, when, so 12, I started to get a little frustrated. I think that it was hard for me to understand the ways of the world I didn't understand why people were so focused on things that didn't seem to matter when I couldn't even figure out why we existed right. and nobody could answer me. And, you know, it was kind of like those questions, but the reality is, as an adult, we understand that you have to survive right. and it's not about, right. you know, and it's kind of like, I'm sure that I see it still, you know, kids are asking these questions and it's hard to, find that path between trying to have an answer, give them the tools to find an answer and still keep them on focused to be successful in what we have to do right. to be able to feed and house ourselves. Right. So um, when I turned 14, my dad got sick and he got very sick. Uh, he had kidney failure and uh, he, he did not want to get treated. He, he was a tough guy, and he put it off until basically they told him, you have to go in today uh, or you're not going to make it. And so I think that was very traumatic for me. And because I had already been kind of um, – just overactive, kind of mischievous, and I hadn't really found too many ways uh, to get the um, extra energy out. I, I was, uh, well, let me go back. I did play sports. I did play softball, and that was kind of my saving grace right. in a lot of ways, but it also got me into a lot of trouble in a lot of ways. How so? Um, what, what do you mean got into trouble playing so well, softball? Well, because I was able to play travel ball, and I got onto a 14 and under team when I was 12. So that means that everybody was like 14 and 15. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so being a 12 year old and being around 14 and 15 year olds and getting to do a lot of things and playing a lot I of doors it. start to open yeah. and you know, you get kind of get, you, you, you get away with more. And the more I was able to get away with the more that I rode that line and, and, and I think that's really what, what was the scary part was that I was always riding that line and I loved it there. It was a great place to be as a child because I held it together until my dad got sick and it was really tough. Um, you know, it, it was 1990s. His life expectancy was not that long. He was on dialysis for five years and, um, you know, that's something else and watching that process and then starting to ask your questions about health. And now you can see why I ended up probably in the field I ended up. Right, of course. And uh, that was just really tough. And I didn't know how to express it. And I, I didn't, I always was kind of like the one that can lighten the situation or like make jokes, but it was really hard. So... Uh, by the time I was like 16 or 17, it was just, it was something else because it was th like three years in and um, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. And you know, it's so crazy. Like it was 1999, show my age. 
And I remember the Y2K scare. Yeah. And we didn't know, so weird. We didn't know what was going to happen. And we knew that he was, he had to get dialysis within a certain amount of days or, you know, it wouldn't make it. So if all the computers shut down, because sure. that's what we thought was going to happen, then that was it. So it was like all this heavy stuff. But at the same time, I was really good at school. I mean, I got put in the gate program when I was in like third grade. I was very aware and I was pretty sensitive to a lot of this stuff. So it's like I was doing really well in school, but I never went. (laughs) Oh, yeah. By the way, (laughs) I hated going to school. (laughs) I hated going to school. And it was just because I got so bored. And then I ended up just, I don't know. And I learned how to ditch when I was in first grade because they sent me to the second grade class or third grade class for math. And then sometimes the teacher would be behind and I saw someone at the swings one day and that was it game over. (laughs) And I wouldn't stay long. I would just get, you know, a little bit of swings in and then I'd go back so that this way I could continue to do it because I didn't want to get caught and I wouldn't do it all the time. And I think that's where I learned kind of the ins and outs, the gray area and that gray area you know, it, it's a, it's a, a lot of people can get away with it, but if you don't have those other tools, uh, it can be a scary place. So by the time I was like 17, I was 16, 17, gosh, you know what? I got a tattoo when I was 15. Who am I kidding? <laughs> yeah, I was going to raves. I was really just putting myself in a different culture. Um, And I really wasn't like heavily into drugs. I think I smoked pot, I drank, but I didn't want to be out of control because uh, I was afraid that if I was out of control and I got a call that I wouldn't be there if something happened with my dad. I was really, really cognizant of that. And then um, by the time I was like 18, I was starting to get into other things by that time. Um, I was starting to put myself in other crowds. And I I think that was one of the things that I did because I didn't want to be in that normal, I was bored with the normal culture. And I see that happening again, where kids are kind of bored, they want to be different. But then when they go and they put themselves in another surrounding you really expose yourself to so much. You don't understand what that can do. And and that's really kind of what I started to do is I put myself in really negative situations. And I affiliated myself with people that they had their own karma that was coming to them. And if you're with people like that, you are going to feel the wrath of it as well. And you don't always necessarily realize that as a young person. And I think it's so hard for parents because you want to tell your kids this, but the second you tell them anything or you tell them what to do, how to do it, they are going to instantly, it's human nature back up. So, you know, you can kind of maybe share your experience. You can share um, information resources, but it, it, once they're already in that other realm, it's really hard to tell someone you're 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 putting yourself in danger because they already know that by the time they're 17 or 16 you, they're they're grown especially nowadays you know these are really sophisticated kids so um 
my 18-year-old, 19-year-old self decided that uh, I would be affiliated with people that had, um, you know, they were entrepreneurs of the day. Um, I think the culture was very much about the drug dealer culture. Um, now it seems like now it's about the drug consumer culture within music. Um, so that was kind of praised. Uh, it, 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 things were starting to really take a turn when it came to the rap and, you know, you had like NWA and it's just people that were just exploiting different types. I mean, you're, you're, you're also describing like an environment, you know, and you talk about living in LA, I'm picturing like less than zero, you know, the James Spader and the, that, that, that kind of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the higher end cocaine dance rave drug culture. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we were, there was, rock stars famous people i remember one night we went out and for this is before we went out we saw priscilla presley and uh somebody else i can't even think i'm so nervous right now but in one night and that's before you go out you know that's at dinner and then you go out and there's all these you know you don't wait in line and you get drinks handed to you i don't pay for anything nobody pays for anything and it's just, you know, it's just a whole different world. And, but, but that can occur anywhere. So I think that's, that's, you know, that's one of the fast life, but you can still do the same thing within small crowds. Sure. And I think what happened was I started to do both. So then they started to um, go out. And then uh, I really, what happened was I was at a gas station one time and we were going out and I had been drinking a little bit and I was approached by a man and I was not interested. He was a younger guy and I was mouthy and said something like, don't talk to me or leave me alone. And he came back with, I'll put you in the back of my car. And I came back with, well, then I'm going to probably throw this bottle at you. And it just escalated really fast. I was scared and I just kind of went into fight or flight, but I never seemed to flight. I always seemed to fight. So then there was a friend of mine and we ended up all getting into a fist fight. The guy who had approached me had a bat in the back of his car. He pulled it out, hits my friend. We all get arrested. Turns out that man is on methamphetamines. He is highly strung out. Um, It really kind of set things in motion for me. I went And I was really scared about a lot of things. I went to the doctor. I stopped prescribed Xanax. I took too many. I abused it. And I started to get into that realm. And that's when things got really tough. Um, I just didn't. And then that whole attitude of not wanting to be in control, that was gone. And I was just overwhelmed and depressed. And of course, I was taking Xanax. So, I mean, it was just like a cyclical thing, right. you know. Um, and then a friend of mine um, had a lot of access to other drugs. We started to do other drugs, experiment. Um, I accidentally, I thought I was smoking a joint one time. There was crack in the joint. I, I took one hit. I felt it. I smelt it. It was disgusting. And I, I just, after that, I just started to kind of realize like, what am I doing? And, and then, um, 
we were doing a there was like it was like mdma i guess at the time and now it's god knows molly what who even knows what's in that stuff and that's what scares me too but besides that we we, we got into that cycle and i got into an uh, a small fender bender and i to be honest i probably wouldn't have even gotten in trouble but again i was my mouth got me in trouble and i got arrested and i got my first dui and I didn't even have an alcohol level. It was more about impairment, and I think the officer was really trying to prove a point. Um, that was November 2002, and then uh, my best friend at the time had some issues with drugs. Um, I, we both tried to stop. I was able to stop. He wasn't, and he passed away by February of the next year. And that was it. That was where I just decided that I couldn't do any of this anymore. Um, I remember attending the funeral and people telling me that they thought that it would have been me. They were surprised. They were scared. Um, they were harsh. They were upset because we were together a lot of times. And, you know, some of them maybe even blame me. And, I've come to terms with, you know, a lot of that, but it's been, it's been a road to deal with my own emotions and give myself tools to make better choices because it's not necessarily about, it can be drugs, it can be alcohol, it can be work, it can be sex, it can be anything. It's about having the tools to make the right decisions and your personality is never going to change. But if you can recognize when things are triggering you or when things are bothering you and you can accept it and not let it bother you and think about it in a logical way and say, yeah, this bothers me, but you know, here's how I choose to act and not act on uh, previous behaviors. It makes a huge difference. Jennifer, you told me when we were talking the last time um, about the last words you said to your friend who OD'd and that, that had hit you pretty hard um, primarily because yeah. the two of you were so close. Yeah, we were extremely close. And um, he had he had he had actually left to New York pre 9-11. And uh, he had reunited with his um, long lost love, which was beautiful. And they came back. Uh, they were together. She got pregnant and they came back. And when they came back, he just struggled with some stuff. Um, and that was kind of all that time when, when we were going through the, the DUI and he basically looked to me for, for help and he would call me at work. He would call me constantly. And I had told him that I was, you know, trying to just keep everything on track. And, and the last thing I told him was, I don't have time for you. And it just, it just kind of, really made me think about what I was saying was not really to him. It was about what came along with it, but it hurts. It was more about, I don't have time for what, you know, to go back into that. And I was just trying to tell him to come out too, but that wasn't happening. And he, um, 
he had missed his court date, you know, and he, he didn't, it's not like he intentionally did this. He just, he had been partying the night before and then he missed his court date in the morning because he had been partying the night before, which of course it's a slippery slope, you know, and then, uh, he, he just, he, had too much to drink and and I think he just had too much in his system and it, it wasn't intentional. He loved his kid, he loved his family, and I know he loved his girl, but he was just in too mm, he was too emotionally tied up to look for real answers. I mean, he had tried to do anger management. He had tried to do these things, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, he made it a good effort, but it, it was kind of one of those wake-up calls. And I, I think that's that's the thing is, you know, you, the reality is some people make it and some people don't, but a lot of people do make it. And, you know, um, it's important to recognize the process and the path. And those are the people, the people that, you know, were there with you and what they went through as well. And to look at, you know, maybe mistakes that they made. And now a word from our sponsors. As a suicide and abuse survivor, Johnny Crowder spent his formative years searching for resources to help him cope with his mental health issues, ranging from OCD and bipolar disorder to schizophrenia. And after nearly a decade of clinical treatment, volunteer peer counseling, and public advocacy, he now relies on the strategies he shares through Cope Notes to live a happier, healthier life. Johnny Crowder is the founder and CEO of Cope Notes, and I met up with him to talk about what he's created. And honestly, parents, I think every teen, every person who suffers from anxiety or depression or any mental health issue should have Cope Notes on their phone. Check this out. How did you come up with Cope Notes? Where did all this come from? It's the classic entrepreneur story of someone looking for something for a decade, realizing it doesn't exist, and then fashioning one out of pure frustration. <laughs> that the option wasn't available before. Yeah, so how does it work? The way I picture it is that people are getting a text a day or like what's happening? Yeah, so we'll send a user one text a day, random time, you don't know when you'll get it or what it'll say. And these texts are psychology facts or advice or a question that you can respond and journal to. And over time, we're just trying to help you mold your brain into something that works with you instead of against you. Instead of us throwing someone on our back and carrying them, we want to make sure that we're putting them in a position where they can carry themselves. Because independence is the goal, right? When something happens, you don't want to turn to something and say, fix me. You want to go, I know what to do to handle this now. So the, the concept of it being cope notes, are you seeing this as a, a healthy coping mechanism? Or is this to replace the, the old bad ones? It's an answer to bad habits compounding on each other over time. So just like we can accidentally turn to the wrong thing over and over again, Cope Notes presents you with a new thing every day. So Cope Notes isn't the resource. We're connecting you with 150 other ways to think about what you're going through. So you can actually buy it for someone else and it starts showing up on their phone? So our gift subscription is one of our most popular options. And 
it you can personalize it you can say you know from mom love you or you can leave it anonymous and that person will start receiving the text messages right away what's the feedback been like johnny that's the part that's really been the most encouraging for me i think people have made massive decisions in life based on one of our texts and sometimes it's so clearly from the user's interpretation of the text it just mentions popcorn and someone checks themselves into rehab for an eating disorder is there a facebook page that people can check into your community we have a public facebook page it's just coke notes it should be pretty easy to find is this going around the world i got international listeners we're number one in australia number three in canada like are they going to be able to do this Yes. Believe it or not, even though you live in another country and it's text messages, you would think that it would be really complicated, but we have an international system set up. We're in 75 countries across the globe right now, so odds are wherever you live, we're already serving people in your country. That's Johnny Crowder, lead singer of Prison and the founder of Cope Notes. To activate your two free weeks of Cope Notes, go to Beyond Risk and Back. Dot copenotes.com. That's beyond risk and back. Dot copenotes.com. Go get your free two weeks. Okay, let's get back to the program. So you made it. I did. How? I struggled. <laughs> uh, I struggled. I made a decision and I, well, I removed myself. Talk about that decision point. Talk about that moment where you were like, you know, you had, you had had the, the, the second or the, the DUI, you had been arrested. You had, you had had a, a friend OD. What, what was that? What did that feel like? What was that moment where, you know, that's why rock bottom, like rock bottom is where we stop digging and we start climbing back up and out. Do you? Well, I thought I was going to die. I didn't think I was going to make it. And, you know, to be honest with you, I actually really hadn't thought I was going to make it past 27 when I was, like, by the time I was, like, 18, 19, because it just was, like, this was, like, just so stressful by the first 18 years with just, like, health, and I was so scared and all those things, I thought, and then I was starting to get into the drugs, and I kind of felt it, you know, and I felt myself... And I couldn't stop myself, you know, and I was smart and I knew I was going down that road, but I just couldn't stop myself. And I knew I was, I was going to really struggle and I, and there was a chance I wasn't going to make it. And then when I saw my friend pass away, I really knew there was a chance that I wasn't going to make it. Um, and if I went back and I still know this, that if I decide to make bad decisions, it's just going to end up being a slippery slope. Does that mean you're, you're like completely abstinent from things? You have wine with dinner? Like, like, oh, like where, where so, are you with you everything? Know, it's so funny. I actually, I opened up a beer. I, I do drink and you know, I've realized, and I had a little bit of struggle realizing dr what drinking does and, and how much to drink. And it, it took, you know, this is not a quick recovery type of thing. It's more about getting in touch with, like I said, about feelings because, and, and, and how things affect you because it could be alcohol. It could be anything. Um, I struggled with alcohol making decisions with, um, just, just having two, three drinks and just 
not being happy and realizing that alcohol really, if you're not happy, it's not going to make you any happier. It's just going to heighten the unhappiness. It doesn't change things. And, and I had to get, you know, a little bit too drunk to realize that. And then I thought, okay, this isn't working, but it's because I had made that decision that I'm going to live and I'm going to find ways. And when I see things happening, I will stop it. I will make a correction and I will do whatever it takes to learn how to find the tools to do it better. You know, something that I think myself, I, well, I know myself and I know a lot of my listeners feel a little unresolved in right now is wondering did, what happened to your dad? Did he make it? Uh, so he got a transplant from my uncle. I'm not the biggest fan of my uncle. Uh, so he got a transplant and he lived 10 years. He did make it. Wow. And he was a tough guy. There was a lot of ups and downs. There was a few times I think he passed away and came back. Uh, But he did pass away in 2005. Now, again, those are things that can trigger that cycle right back. Because if you're not prepared, and I wasn't really prepared like I thought I was, And so I had it again, but I did have the right support system around me. I did make right decisions where if I did decide that I was going to get upset and drink, I was going to do it on my couch with somebody there, have enough water, have a meal. I mean, there was all these different things that goes into play. And I think it's more about being conscious of your actions as you're doing them and how they will affect you. And are you okay with that effect? And, you know, have you prepared for that. And if you, if you're not conscious of your actions and how your emotions are playing into your actions, you can succumb to your emotions and, and make bad decisions. So, um, when my dad passed, I did make some bad decisions. Um, I actually did get another DUI and it was crazy because I got it and it was, I was 0.08, no 0.08, no, like 0.08 and 0.09. And it was between the two. And right. I, was driving too fast is really what it was. And I had had an, I had had one years back and I was in an area that is not tolerant of that. And looking back, you know, it killed me because I couldn't tell my dad. And my dad was the guy who went to court with me when I got my first one. He really stood by me. Um, one of the things that my parents did for a long time was the don't, you can't, but after a while, they learned that that wasn't working. And they just kept telling me that they love me and that they're there, you know. And I think that, like, they started to realize that when you have kids, you're really having another human. I mean, yeah, you have a lot of influence, but they're still going to go through their own thing and they make their own path. And you can only do so much, you know. And I know that's probably really hard to hear. And I don't have kids, so, you know take that with a grain of salt, but I think it's just really hard, you know, both, both looking at, um, what you want for your kids and trying to shield and protect them, 
but still knowing that they are another person and a whole nother individual, you know, what, what does support look like for you now when you're, you're feeling heavy, you're feeling tense and, and you're just, you're reaching out instead of reaching, you know, for drugs or, or for something like that. Gratitude. Just, just that, that personal gratitude. No, no. Uh, I look at all the things that I've done. I'm grateful for my, my, my triumphs. I'm grateful for the place that I'm at. I'm grateful for the things that I've overcome. And when I'm getting really, you know, I miss my dad a lot. My dad was very much like me. Um, I'm really independent. I'm running my own business now. I wish I had my dad to talk to, you know. Um, But I surround myself with um, friends that are like-minded. I am open with my mom. I'm very close with my mom. I, when I feel down, I, I make sure that I don't have too much sugar. I don't have things that are going to put me on these spikes because right. it doesn't help. I'm, I'm really conscious of, of what I'm eating. And so, um, and then I try to get a little bit more sleep. I try not to oversleep. Um, I put myself on a schedule and I, I work on things that are positive. Uh, I try to listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't watch TV very much. (laughs) That's Um, probably good. I I believe it's a culture of fear in a lot of ways. Um, And I think that plays into, plays into our emotions and and things of that nature. I'm not saying I don't ever watch it, but I understand what I'm doing when I'm watching it. You know, they call it programming for a reason, right? Right. So, I think it's important to be aware of your state of mind and then do the things that are immediately going to affect it in a positive way and keep those other things that could possibly throw a wrench in it a little bit afar. And I know that we can't, you know, sometimes we're stressed out or whatever, and we've got to face these things. I know my mother's going to pass away. She's 74. You know, I'd love for her to live to 100, but, you know, what does that look like? Am I, you know, how have I thought about that? And I've kind of gone through, you know, what the process is and, you know, prepared. I think being prepared and having um, tools, whether that comes in the form of books, podcasts, you, (laughs) uh, whatever that is, reaching for those tools and, learning how to use them before you need them. It seems that uh, control, personal control and choice seem to be linked for you in a value system. Uh, and, and I, and a lot of people, you know, who've experienced trauma as, as a child, which you certainly did having your dad on that edge, on that precipice for that many years, that exhausts the nervous system. And, and one of the things that I've learned from you throughout this conversation is that that Y2K thing. My experience of Y2K was much different than yours. Yours sounds utterly terrifying. And that 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 this all this stuff your your father's health that you can't control and now the 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 environment could shut shut your father's life down. And now and now as you have you and I have talked uh, in the few times that we've talked and then now I hear someone who has a high value around control and you feel that control gives you more options, more choice. I think 
It's, well, it's a fine line because you need to realize what you can't control. And that in itself is a really uh, big weight lifted off your shoulders because you know that there are certain things that you can't control, but the things that you can control and you can do it in a positive way. I don't mean over controlling. Sure. It's more about, you know, being prepared and knowing and being honest with yourself, knowing that we're going to go through ups and downs and knowing that, you know, there's going to be tough times. And so when those tough times are occurring, Controlling the environment that you're in as much as you can allows for uh, more healing, I think, and, and um, it, it allows for less to come in and distract you. Do you feel like, Do you feel like you avoid situations that you know you're not going to be able to control? And I'm not, I'm not even talking about you know drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about yeah. you know relationships, and I'm talking about you know skydiving, and I'm talking about like like how no, you know um, no, I, I actually so funny. I did go. I, I I don't, and I the thing about it is the reason. I had to implement that was because I was very impulsive. Remember? So for me, for what control looks like for me does not necessarily mean what control looks like for everyone else. Sure, sure. Uh, So I I jumped out of a plane. My sister called me the night before and said, Hey, you want to jump out of a plane? Don't go (laughs) out. And I said, okay, sure. I went out. And as I'm running home at eight o'clock in the morning, I see her driving up. (laughs) <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm like, okay, I got to change, get in, we drive, we go, we jump out and I don't even tie my shoes and one of my shoes flies off <laughs> and I, on my back. I mean, he was so white, I mean, just ghost when we got down and he's like, I can't believe you didn't tie your shoes. I could have gone through our shoes and all this stuff. Oh and my gosh. I thought it was the funniest thing. So when I take control, that's... You see what I'm saying? It's yeah. not like, it's like, okay, tone it down a little bit. Let's, let's put some reason. Don't be impulsive. Let's think right. it out a little bit. Well, so I think, I think a lot of people, and then look, control is a big part of recovery because when people are going to the, the 12 step rooms, it's so that they can have some control over their environment and they go through a ritual and a ceremony and a, and a, and a formulaic process on a regular basis that creates new habits and new patterns. All of that are control mechanisms. Now the, the, the question would always remain for everybody, not just you, this isn't a Jennifer thing. It's is that is there hypervigilance? Is there you know uh, um, over controlling? Because you know God grant me the strength to to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I don't hear an unhealthy control piece with you. I hear a I know what out of control looks and feels like, and I never want that again. And I get that on a personal level. Um, and I'm just I'm just wondering. Uh, you know, I, I was just wondering about the negative side effects of that. Do you have any and how do you, how do you manage it? Cause you are managing yeah. your sobriety. Yeah, there's definitely negative side effects. Um, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not really consciously managing it. Um, I work for myself, but I also work with a lot of other executives. So it's not like I'm totally, you know, you, you never really completely in control. And I think recognizing that, but you can control your reactions and that's about it. (laughs) I mean, really, you know, when you're talking about control, you can talk about what your actions are, but, but 
that's what I mean in, in understanding the things that you can control because there's always going to be that X factor. So when that X factor comes into play, you've already got yourself, you know, that's why I say stay ready type of thing. You've already got your, your other parts in play. Of course, it may not be completely 100%. It's not like my house is going to be totally clean and everything's going to be ready and that type of thing. No, not necessarily, but I still am organized enough to where if something immediately happened, I could switch gears and I wouldn't be bogged down by just the regular everyday stuff. So, um, you know, if all of a sudden some type of tragedy happened, I have everything in play to where I wouldn't fall apart. I know what I can turn to. I know where to go. Um, and for me, again, like I said, that, that goes back to um, meditation, gratitude, recognizing where I am, where I've come, and, and asking myself, you know, who I want to be, what I want to do, and the effect that I want to leave on people, because that's a big one for me, too. Do you have uh, a daily practice, a daily mantra, a daily, you know, what is, what is your conditioning on a daily basis to keep you in the space of being a, a successful entrepreneur and moving forward and, and having proper levels of control and fun? How, how, what's your daily management look like? You know, at the end of the day, you got to be honest with yourself and you got to look at what your wins are. You got to look at what your losses are and you got to look at what you want your next day to look at. Yeah. And Depends on what kind of day you had. If you had a bad day, you might want to look at your wins first. <laughs> if you had a great day, maybe you should look at what you didn't do. You know what I mean? And I, I think it's important to be honest with yourself. You know, when you're falling behind and your house is falling apart and there's no food in your fridge, you know what? Take that time and, and catch up because we all fall behind. It's not about, you know, it's not about that. It's just kind of recognizing where you are and making those little adjustments to get you back to where you want to be. Um, so, so kind of a daily recognition of my day, how it went, and then um, a lot of visualizing and uh, a lot of self-control with negative thought. I, I, don't, I don't do negative thought. Um, I allow myself about five minutes to be upset about something, and then I kind of have to get over it because there's nothing I can do. But I do get five minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I can use those five minutes well sometimes. Um, <laughs> And control. Like the other day, I really was mad and I wanted to break something. So I broke a plate, but I broke it over the trash can and it felt great. <laughs> That's brilliant. Like, yes. <laughs> That's brilliant. All right. My, 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 my two final questions. First one being, um, knowing that we're, we're coming to the end of, of this interview. Uh, what do you wish you would have said earlier? Everyone can make a change. And I think it starts with something simple. And I kind of wish I would have led with that. Um, because I think looking at small changes, small changes lead to big changes. And um, the other thing is that, you know, I really struggled. And I guess I, you know what I should have led with, this is the first time I'm telling my story. And I don't usually um, ramble as much as I have. So I do apologize, but it's been tough. Um, and, uh, I really struggled, but I made it. And more importantly than I made it, I'm happy. And I think that, you know, I think that's what a lot of parents want for their kids is they just want them to be happy. 
um, success looks like a lot of different things to a lot of people. And I think encouraging your kids to do things that make them happy and finding ways to, um, you know, they have a lot of these Clifton strengths and tests and things like that and encouraging them to, to find out what they're good at because everybody's good at something. If a young girl was listening to this and contacted you and said, everything you said, that was my story. What would your first piece of advice to her be? Oof, sit down. It's been a long one, huh? Brilliant. If somebody does want to get in touch with you and just give thanks or, or share their story with you, do you have a, do you have a safe way for them to contact you? I do. I do. Uh, well, you can always go to my, my website is health gen Y Z that's spelled health H E A L T H G E N Y Z. And, uh, my email address is Jen at health gen Y Z. Uh, anything you would send to that would, would reach me. Um, I do have a newsletter that's going to be coming out and we are going to be doing a lot for the younger generation, um, to give back. We're going to be doing a lot of newsletters that will give giveaways. Um, we're looking to do some scholarships and, we're actually looking to do a lot of surveys. Um, one of the surveys that I have up right now is on vaping um, and just talking about, uh, it's kind of geared towards a little bit of younger age and, and wondering if your kids have asked you about vaping, have you seen their their friends vaping? And, and we want to just kind of do some information and we're working with some uh, doctors and, and uh, providers to look at ways to address that overall um, Oregon's doing some good work with that and we're working with them. So and parents uh, can sign up for your newsletter on your website. Yes. Uh, yes give it again. Can. Give it again. It's uh, the newsletter. You know what? Actually, I think it's newsletter at health gen com is the email address. But if you just go to, Sorry, I'm nervous. If you just go to the website, um, right on the website, it pops up and says there's there's a newsletter Perfect. that you can sign up for. And and the the website is the uh, uh, healthgenyz.com. Yes. Perfect, Jennifer. I, the, the, I what happens in these interviews is that we get to know you uh, in a in less than an hour, sometimes more than we know our own family members, our own cousins and stuff. And that's just because of, like I said at the beginning, the transparency, the courage, the willingness to get out there and say everything you just said, this is what happened and this is where I am now. So uh, I, I have a lot of gratitude for, for you, for people like you, for people who are in that daily work of recovery and see part of that work is getting out and sharing the story. And I truly believe we are only as sick as our secrets and I hope, I really hope you found this a, a, a decent healing experience or at least some, some good medicine to help you on with your work and on your way. Yeah, you know, I definitely did. Um, it's been a long time. I, I've, I'm, I'm thankful to say I haven't, you know, it's been a long time since I've looked back. Um, so, I mean, at least 15 years. And so I... I'm grateful for the opportunity. Uh, I'm grateful that, you know, I really believe in good and 
positive energy and I think it kind of led me here. So I'm grateful for it as well. Um, it, it's not easy to, to tell, and I'm not a person who likes to tell their story. So I thought I'd just do it on air and tell everybody. <laughs> I mean, right? when I go, I go large, huh? Might as well go to 12 million instead of just one person at a time. So yeah, you didn't know that number, did you? <laughs> I wish everyone could see my face. Right now. <laughs> Jennifer Gonzalez, health gen YZ. Thank you so much for your, for your wisdom and sharing. That's it's phenomenal. I appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate you. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I'd like to thank Jordan Frazier of Frazier PR for all their love and support of the podcast. I'd like to thank Your Cause Consulting. Helps with marketing and getting the PR out there. I'd also like to thank Deepin Productions for all the work on the sound and the music. Parents, thank you for listening to Beyond Risk and Back and making us a number one podcast. Please share these episodes, listen, like, and subscribe anywhere you see Beyond Risk and Back. It really helps us out a lot. I'd like to thank Mental Health News Radio for all their love and support of our show. Most of all, parents, I want to remind you, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, you can do your best work with your children. I'll see you next week.